Apana acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the lands on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The First Peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. Yolon here with you today, hosting the Apata podcast. Today I have joining me Dan Nixon, story and creative producer from one of Australia's leading producers for high-quality children and family entertainment, Pirate Size Productions. The team at Pirate Size Productions deliver bold stories. They're fresh, fun, full of heart and ethos, really great messages, and they're also beautifully and incredibly captured across artwork and animation. Chances are you've already come across their talent on screen as their client base includes people to the likes of ABC Studios, Australian Children's Television, Universal Kids, Sesame Studios, and there's a number of streaming services as well. Dan also works closely with his team at the Melbourne Young Writers Studio. Hello, Dan, and thank you so much for joining us today at the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you for your time. And um, today we're going to talk about um, probably a number of areas that you work across, very diverse in what you do, and that would be Pirate Size Productions, uh, your journey and what you're doing, as well as Melbourne Young Writers Studio. And I also know that you work in with other university groups. We look forward to hearing all of that today. So give us an overview. What is Pirate Size Productions? So Pirate Size Productions is a children's and family production company. We do animation and live action for TV and film. When we started out, we we described ourselves um, just as doing content for kids and then it became um, children and young people and then it became children's children, young people and family. And now we're working on a little bit of an older YA animated series. So our audience keeps expanding. Um, we keep kind of redefining what we do, but um, that's it in a, a nutshell, television content for young audiences. Wonderful. And it, um, and I've looked at the body of work and, and, and what you cover is um, really um, just immense um, when we go through your website. And for listeners out there, I'd suggest you jump on and have a look and I'll give you those details at the end. Um, I first came across your work with the Are You OK Day. Oh, yeah. And I fell in love with that. It was really interesting because you do a lot of animation and then I watched this most amazing production of Are You OK with kids dancing and singing and it was it was just absolutely wonderful, that body of work, and hence why I've reached out to you because I so fell in love with it. 
let's talk through the process. So the body of work that you look at, um, there's narration, there's character development, you need to connect with family and kids. Where do you start? The unifying factor between no matter what we're doing is that we look for, for concepts that are in equal parts funny, sad, beautiful and strange. They're the four ingredients we look for. They've got to be funny. They've got to make you laugh. They've got to, um, you know, have the, not make you cry, but they've got to have the ability to have a little bit of depth to them. They've got to um, be a little bit strange, a little bit out there, and they've got to make you think as well. So they're the, they're the four things that we, uh, we look for. Um, and we spend a long time in development, growing our projects. A lot of them have grown, come from in-house, a couple of our projects on our current slate uh, from external creators. So we will option either a book or, you know, whatever that original source material is, or even just an idea, um, and then work on developing that over the course of several years. It takes a long time. <laughs> it is. Develop. And I don't think, I don't think people are fully aware of the the time it takes to develop and, and work on this body of content. And I'm aware that you produce your own originals and yep. so you work with others in business on a global scale. Yeah, so we, we're what's called a co-production company. So most of our partnerships are with other companies around the world. The two big, big shows that you know are coming through our process at the moment, I can't talk about the specifics of the projects because they're yet to be announced, but they're both projects with um, big international broadcasters, one big international streaming service and one um, big public broadcaster. Uh, but they're both co-productions with other companies around the world. So uh, we're doing a preschool show that's a co-production with a company in London called Blue Zoo Animation, who do Paddington Bear and Pip and Posey. Um, and they've done just so many different wonderful shows. And then another co-production with a with a company in LA uh, called Starburns Industries, who are most famous for the show Rick and Morty. Um, and so we we partner with big companies. We're a very tiny company, but we partner with big companies. And so yes, in that way, we're working on big projects on a global scale. So that's big collaboration, and that's collaboration within your team, within groups of ex. Expertise, whether that be animation, script writing, character development, how do you manage that across the oceans? Um, a lot of careful uh, paying attention to time differences. Um, <laughs> been a very imagine. real thing this week with the shifting of um, daylight savings, and you know that shifted all of our all of our meetings. And you know, uh, working on a, a show um, with another person or with another company it's you know it's like having a baby and therefore it's like being in a marriage like it takes so long to to make a show you know the projects that we're working on now both have been kind of going on five years and that's still just to get to this you know point of development um and so you know you you've got to have you've got to make sure those relationships are strong and are well grounded because uh, you are going to be spending years with those people what's your favorite part of the process I, you know, this is lucky because I've spent years in it, as I said, but development is just so much fun when you're creating characters from scratch, you're building worlds from scratch. Um, you know, it's, that's so much fun. I, you know, I'm a writer, but I am also a 
extroverted writer. So I am very um, fond of the collaborative nature of creating content for the screen. Uh, so I love it when we get to do workshop days where it's a bunch of different creatives in a room sharing and bouncing ideas off of each other, laughing together, the banter that comes from that. So I really love, um, I really love that part of the process. I also just love the quiet moments as a writer where I'm, you know, very immersed in a script, very immersed in a world, you know, I could be sitting in a cafe or in a pub or, you know, in the office or wherever it is. And just, I'm so in that world, so immersed in the characters' journeys and, and what I'm writing. And so I love the, the quiet, the quiet moments as well. When you've developed this character and you have all that refined detail on what this character would or would not do and, um, their emotions and um, it, you're journeying with that character. And when we look at your body of animation, working with an animator to bring that forward, how do you go about that communication? Yeah, so, I mean, it's about breathing space. And, you know, the, I teach um, screenwriters at a lot of, the, in a lot of the different courses um, in, here in Melbourne. I teach at the Victorian College of the Arts and at RMIT and I've taught at other universities as well. And one of the number one things I you know, say to people when they're entering the industry for the first time or wanting to be screenwriters is making sure that everyone's just really clear about the collaborative nature of writing for the screen because if you want to, if you've got a very singular, very narrow, very focused vision and you don't feel like there's a lot of space for other people to speak into your ideas and your concepts, if you're the one driving the show, um, then probably you should go write that as a novel because you're, <laughs> there's, you're more likely, you know, there still will be people, people, editors and publishers who speak into that, but it's less people that, you know, by virtue of writing for the screen, there is dozens and dozens, if not, you know, more uh, who will speak into the process. So for me, it's about making sure that you leave space. Um, I'm really conscious of being clear about the core journey of characters, the core arcs, um, making sure that the story is moving through the character. Um, but then when it comes to things like comedy um, and particularly like visual or slapstick comedy or, you know, I always make sure there's room because um, it is a visual medium and, uh, you know, people storyboarding, animators, designers will bring a whole nother lens on that. Um, and uh, if you've done your job as a writer really well and created a great blueprint, um, then they'll only, you know, enrich that. Uh, and therefore the project is, you know, in, enriched as well. So it really is collaborative. So it's about making sure that you do your job of creating the best blueprint possible, um, but leaving breathing space then on the blueprint, you know, I'm going to keep going on this analogy too far, but, you know, for the, uh, for the house to then be built on top of that blueprint, because it really is that, you know, uh, it really is, um, that is the role of the writer, the role of the, of, you know, the, the, the screenplay is to hand over that is then the plans for the building of the house that happens on top of it. So when we get to that building of the house, so you've got this period of development, which is, you know, quite extensively long as, as you work through the, you know, numerous processes and, and working that up. And you get to this moment where, right, we're putting it together or we're shooting it live or whatever those things might be. What's the critical role and all the lessons that you've learnt when you're at that point? Because there are things that you go, yeah, that's exactly how it should be. And then, of course, there's always some challenges and solutions that need to go with that process. Definitely. And I think, you know, the particular, um, the particular challenges are unique to each project. So, you know, 
just to provide a, a general example, um, not to go again too far into the projects that I'm, I'm working on. I wish I could be a bit more specific, but one is a preschool show. One is a slightly older show for a kind of a, more of a primary school audience, what we call six to 12. Um, that's the big kind of audience demographic. Um, and so the preschool show is very episodic, meaning that every episode is just a standalone story. So you're not likely to have the big kind of problems facing the, the story that you would with a show for an older audience, which is serialized, which has a story that links and there might be, you know, there might be an element of there being cliffhangers or, you know, a big mystery that's unraveling that sort of thing. You know, for that, you need to make sure there are, you know, for an, a show for an older audience, you really do need to make sure there is a clear voice that is guiding the whole process. Um, and that that voice is the one that's, you know, the guide that's guiding everyone, making sure everyone's on the same page. Whereas I think for a, a preschool show, it's more about the key, you know, it's about the key objectives. It's about um, the tone. It's about the comedy, making sure that that's consistent. Um, and in both situations that your audience is always your, your focus, um, you know, your audience, no matter what kind of content you create, what kind of stories you're telling should always be the focus, but that's particularly important when you're writing for younger audiences. So. Definitely. Let's talk about your journey. Where did it all begin going into this body of work? Is it where you always loved writing when you're at school? Who nurtured you through that? Where did it start for you? Yeah, so my journey to kind of doing what I do today has been a very organic one. It was not, you know, I, to be completely honest, I wish I had realized that this was a career path much earlier, but I didn't, um, you know, when I was in, in, even in high school, you know, it didn't really click to me that were, that there were people who wrote TV shows, you know, you heard about the director, you, you know, knew, but it just didn't click that there was someone who did that. And so I had a bit of a weird, long journey. I'd been involved in arts, like the arts world for a long, long time um, and the teaching world for a long time, teaching drama and, and music and things like that. And then um, I spent some time as a youth worker as well and uh, then eventually fell into writing some youth theatre for a few youth theatre companies around and by that stage had realised that, oh, wait, I could go and extend this to writing for the screen and learn more about that. And so I'd already found an audience and a niche that I was very, you know, interested in. And I often talk about writing for, you know, young audiences as the biggest niche in the world, because it is huge. There's every kind of story and there's many different audiences within that big broad audience. Um, so it was a very, it was a very organic thing. Um, and then, so I studied um, a master's after doing a very general arts degree. I studied a master's in screenwriting at the Victorian college of the arts and coming out of that course, um, was fortunate to find some work at the Australian Children's Television Foundation, who are a big, you know, a big, um, important company who, you know, their role has changed over years, but uh, involved in the driving of kids content and kids television here in Australia, but ultimately realised that I wanted to be doing my own thing. And so went out and started Pirate Size Productions, really just as a name under which I would be pitching my own original concepts. And then over the course of um, you know, not a lot of time, a few, a few years that, that, built, that grew into a real company. And there were three of us who are the directors of the company now, and that was a very organic process. So there's myself um, as creative director, Alyssa Smedley, 
who uh, is actually my cousin. <laughs> so I, who's a, an incredible animator and, a, um, you know, couldn't have found a better, a better partner um, there. Uh, and then Bryony McLaughlin, who came from a live action producing background. Um, and so we kind of grew as the, the directors of Pirate Size Productions um, and officially became a company in 2017. And I'm going to guess maybe slightly later. I can't remember actually when that happened. Um, it's all a bit of a blur, but yeah, it was a very, every, everything for me has been a very organic process of kind of just um, following what I'm interested in, um, you know, following opportunities as they have come up and then continually questioning, you know, questioning um, what I want to do and what I love doing and making sure that I'm, you know, that I'm kind of creating opportunities if they, if they haven't existed. So, uh, and I've been very how fortunate. How can we expand this opportunity, do you think, for, how can we improve that in schools, do you think, in regards to looking at pathways? Yeah, I own a company called Melbourne Young Writer Studio uh, that you mentioned at the beginning, um, which is a creative writing and storytelling school for young people. So primary school right through to uh, secondary school. And then we do some programs for adults as well. We're fast becoming one of the biggest writing schools in the country. We've got over 300 um, kids who attend our programs every week at the moment um, and more on holiday, school holidays. And then we do school programs and all sorts of different things. But um, I think kind of reframing how we approach story and the teaching of story, you know, I think that's really what our backbone here at Melbourne Young Writer Studio has been is built on the philosophy that if you can encourage a love of storytelling, um, then the skills will come because the first step is falling in love with the thing. And then if you want to do it, then you will develop the skills to do it. Um, and so I think more of a focus, you know, whether it's across um, media studies, whether it's across, you know, um, literature, um, English literature or English, you know, on on teaching the, the craft of story um, and, you know, helping young people develop the, uh, the the confidence to put their own ideas down on page on the page is the, is the very, very, very first step. Uh, and then I think, you know, diversifying understanding of what it, what creative opportunities are out there. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's just hearing from, from more people. As I said, I didn't realize that there were people who wrote stories for the screen when I was a, when I was at school. Um, and then figured out that it was a, you know, not only there's people who do it, but it's a viable, a viable career. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's really just about diversifying. I think it's exploring um, and uh, yeah, expanding the, the, you know, content that we consume and, and the, the unpacking of that a little bit more. So. Part of your experience and, you know, organically walking in and, and developing um, in the area that you fell in love with and, you know, working on those key points that you knew you loved and developing that in Korea, what was the biggest challenge? Mm, I think there's there's been different challenges in different ways, but on a personal level for me, it was probably, you know, when I first left my master's program, I would, you know, apart from the work I was doing at the ACTF at the time, I managed to pick up a little bit of paid writing work that and I when that first happened it was my first paid writing gig for the screen um and I was like here we go this is it you know like I've broken through this is amazing and it happened really quickly so I was kind of shocked I was like oh this is amazing it was like one month's work um paid and then I realized that there was nothing else coming after that I got that little bit of work and then it stopped and so I realized that if 
I wanted to do this, then um, I would have to start to approach things um, a little bit differently. And so that was diversifying in terms of that was part of the reason that I, you know, opened Melbourne Young Writers Studio as well, because it was that I'd always loved working with kids and I didn't want to leave that part um, to the side. Um, and ultimately, you know, that it can be quite risky as a content creator to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, and so, you know, this is something I talk to writers about all the time is have multiple projects. The most common question you we asked in uh, whether it's TV, film world, you know, uh, literature world is what else have you got? Because if someone reads your work um, and doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad project, but if they read it and it's not right for them, they'll say, what else have you got? And if they read it and they really love it, they want to make sure they're getting the best from you and they'll say, what else have you got? I feel like I'm spinning all these plates on top of poles and you see which ones stay up. Some of them are going to fall over. Some of them will definitely fall over. But if you put enough time energy in, you're spinning hard enough, you've got enough plates going, some of them will stay up. Um, so it's about having multiple multiple projects and um yeah, and playing the playing the long game because it does take a while to get things moving, you know, just by virtue of the fact that it takes a very long time to make film and TV shows. So um, making sure that you're, you know, playing the long game. And to that, I'll, I'll end this question with uh, my answer to this question with one very simple thing, patience. <laughs> patience has been my biggest hurdle for sure. Yeah, yeah it is because we know where we we know the journey we want, and sometimes it's just you know keeping that journey alive as we know as it's building or you know connecting on all those things that we need to do. So when someone says, "What else have you got?" How many pieces of what else have you got would you suggest you should have in your portfolio? I think if you can show that you've got like three really good ideas, um, then people are going and ideas that you're not just off the top of your head but you've actually put some thought and some energy into developing um then people are going to know that there's more where that came from um and uh yeah and they they're gonna they're gonna know that you're you're serious um about about you know making your stories come to life that it's not just oh i had this one idea and i want to make it you know if you've got multiple ideas um, that shows that you're a little bit more serious about it. So, yeah, I'm just, I've never thought about an answer to that question, but I'm going to say three. <laughs> you're going to say three. So when you're at the table and you're talking through your ideas, how do you present that? Is it storyboard concept? Is it just conversation? How do you, how do you present, how do you get it on the table? Yeah, so in TV world, we have what's called a pitch Bible. Um, and a pitch Bible is basically a document um, that, has all the information about your story, your characters, your world. Um, and in, for animated TV shows, that will also include original character designs, um, world designs, all of those sorts of things. And so a lot of people wrongly assume that the most important thing that you will have to go and sell a TV show concept or a film, or well, let's talk about TV because it's slightly different to film, but um, TV is the script. But actually it's really the pitch Bible because a lot of executives and broadcasters won't even really take the time to read your script until they've reviewed the pitch Bible and got a clear sense of, of the show as a whole. Um, so we as a company put a lot of time and energy into creating pitch Bibles. They're inherently more creative documents than scripts, actually, because you can do anything with a pitch Bible. So 
Um, there's some good examples online that people can have a look and refer to. I often point people towards, um, if you just have a Google, you'll find it, the Pitch Bible for Stranger Things. Um, you'll find it somewhere. The Pitch Bible, uh, it was originally, uh, the, the show had a different name originally. It was called Montauk. But it's a great example of a Pitch Bible that focuses on tone. And you can read through that Pitch Bible and really know what that show is about what the tone is, um, what the stories and stories and who the characters are going to be. Um, but yeah, they're creative documents. You can get, you know, really creative with your ideas for them. So we've done pitch Bibles in the past um, that have looked like newspapers or that have looked like, um, you know, a kid's journal. Um, we've done all sorts of different things to kind of communicate the heart uh, and tone of the show. Uh, so that's normally the thing that we will be presenting during the pitch and then, you know, a pitch is like usually just a conversation because the space for the person receiving the pitch to ask questions is equally important. So um, it often happens over a cup of tea or, a, you know, no. or over Zoom as well, obviously. <laughs> How do you get your pitch Bible in the door? Um, it's about finding out who's who. Uh, so it's individual people. Um, some broadcasters have, you know, like the ABC, actually, they have like a general submissions email address that people can send things to. However, you know, you're less likely to get a clear response or the same amount of time spent on looking at something um, through a general email address that you would from approaching someone specifically. Um, so it's about taking the time to build relationships, finding out who's who. Um, interestingly, you know, before COVID times, we used to go off to... LA several times a year for pitching, you know, pitching times. And um, the one of the shows that we're working on at the moment, we went over to LA and we, in that one week, we pitched to about 25 different broadcasters. We pitched to Netflix, we pitched to Disney, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, like all of the big broadcasters bar one or two that uh, we just couldn't find the contacts for the, you know, the right people to approach. Um, and as it turned out, there was an article about one of our concepts and uh one of these broadcasters that we hadn't managed to pitch to saw this article approached us said why didn't you pitch why haven't you come pitch this concept to us um and it was a 20 minute pitch over zoom that ultimately sold that that show so um do yeah. you have a um a pitch bible where and I, I think this happens to all of us where it hasn't quite got the traction but you still go good piece of work you just pop it in your drawer because the world or or the timing or whatnot isn't oh, 100 100 yeah. and see it's worth yeah. hanging on to isn't it <laughs> yeah oh it's definitely worth hanging on to and that's that's back to that thing of you know you need to have multiple projects on the go i remember you know there's a big international children's um film and tv market that happens every year in miami called kids screen and I remember walking into kids screen there's in a big you know big fancy hotel with like a four-story lobby and you walk in and there's all these giant banners like three-story banners hanging around for some of the bigger shows that they're getting pitched and um, sold and we always go over again with multiple projects but one of the projects that we went with this particular year was like a preschool um, concept to do with dinosaurs you know enduring favorite uh, dinosaurs and so walked into the lobby and all of the big banners hanging up all around the lobby were for preschool dinosaur shows. Oh, and wow. I just went, no, nah, you know, we're not going to focus on pitching that project this year because there's just too much 
out at the moment. There's too much coming through that's, you know, further ahead down the line than our project is. Um, and so, you know, timing just wasn't right for that project. And that's happened to us on multiple different um, occasions. You know, you choose to put something on the on the back burner. Yeah. How did you go in the world of business? So wonderful, creative, passionate about your work, but there's a real business side to this as well, isn't there? There's, there's contracts, there's IP, there's copyright. It's, it's quite complex. Yeah. How did you navigate your way through that for the first time? Yeah, so I mean, I never studied business um, and I've got two businesses that are very, very different and it's been an organic process. Um, the number one thing is surrounding yourself with good people um, so that you can do what you do best. You know, we got to a point with Pirate Size Productions where, um, you know, I was the one kind of pitching and selling the concepts and then I realised that we needed to be able to actually follow through with what we said we were going to do. Um, and that's where Bryony, our third um, partner, who is our, you know, producer, producer, um, came on board to help kind of deal with our contracts, our negotiations, our legals, our, you know, schedules, our budgets, all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, having someone who can drive that is so, so important. Multiple people, you know, it's a huge job who can drive that. But also having good, um, you know, accountants, good lawyers. The film and TV industry is very, very, very specific. So we have specific um, television accountants, specific lawyers, you know, Australian lawyers, US lawyers, it's about, build, you know, finding those people and building those connections because it is a very unique industry. And then on the, you know, the side of um, Melbourne Young Writers Studio, which is, you know, an equally big business in its own way, it's a very different business, but, um, you know, similarly surrounding yourself with really good people. Um, I just think that I've had enough experience now that I know the value of letting businesses evolve organically in terms of relationships and partnerships and if you're trying to force um you know relationships particularly if they're not people that you've had you know existing relationships with it's no wonder that some businesses and you know business partnerships and relationships fall apart because it's a it's a huge thing and it can be a stressful thing and as I said before you know it can be like a, a like a marriage so you, you know I think you've got to kind of let it be a, as much of an organic thing as you can and um, that's always been our approach that we take time to make sure we're building the best teams and getting the best people for each of the things that we're working on and the same goes for our business at a higher management level so yeah. How do you know the value so when you first start and looking back on your career how did you determine the value of your pitch um, what it was worth, that type of thing. How do you determine value? Because when we first start off, it's really sometimes quite hard to go, well, this is what the worth is, or does the market yeah. dictate that to you? I think a lot of writers in particular don't think about the commercial side and they step out into the industry with like a project that's purely a passion project and then discover that for whatever reason it could be quite a hard sell. Um, and so it's about finding that that thing, you know, the, the show that we're working on for the streamer uh, streaming service at the moment, um, it's weird. It's like, it's a really, 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 really weird concept and uh, premise. And I was so nervous going out and pitching that because I was like, are people going to get it? Are people going to, you know, think what the heck are they, is this young company doing? Like they, you know, they're pitching ridiculous stuff. But actually what we found is that people responded to it in a really really clear way and people remembered the pitch because it was so distinctive and so unique you know um 
And so that has actually become a part of our process now for projects that we take on and develop. They have to have that kind of X factor to them, um, which is it's got to be something a little bit distinctive and unique. Um, but even for the projects that are a little bit more, you know, perhaps commercial, you know, they still have to have a clear hook. They still, you still have to be able to say what the project is and for it to, you know, stick in people's minds. Your work then as a creative or as a storyteller is to find that point of connection because you're going to be in that thick project for years potentially. Um, and sometimes that takes time, you know, to find that that um, point of connection. And, yeah, you know, we, we are drawn to projects with a lot of heart, as I said before, the funny, the sad, the strange, the beautiful. But also we have themes that we return to. Um, you know, we write a lot of our big projects coming through at the moment have kind of environmental themes and, um, themes about connections between people and the natural world and you know there's certain things that we will continue to explore because we're passionate about exploring them and so you know they're going to stick with them so what do you think about the digital world in which we live in now we have people TikToking. there's videos on instagram i mean i when i was a child none of those things existed so is the next generation building skills through just experiment as well yeah it's certain it's a lot easier to go out and just make something than it has ever been before um and to find a serious you know a very serious audience for um for that content you know it used to be that if you wanted to make something um put it out there for cheap then you know your real the really only option you had was to like self-publish something or to go and you know put theater on which i'm a huge huge fan of theater i think all you know screenwriters in particular should write theatre at some stage, but that's a different conversation. The, um, you know, the ability to just film something, make something, put it up on TikTok, find yourself an audience uh, is now a really viable pathway to finding a career. And there's heaps and heaps of um, creators who have done that. Um, I was tempted to say young creators, but not just, you know, there's creators of every, at every stage of their career who have, who have done that, um, who've, you know, made their breakthrough finding a niche online and then capitalizing on that niche um, and building big careers off the back of it. So I'm a huge, huge fan of that. Um, I think that, you know, at some point, at, if you want to go and make a big production, you need to kind of understand how the other side of the industry, which is the kind of older traditional side of the industry, which is its own beast and is evolving and changing in its own way, works as well. Um, but certainly for a step into the industry, you know, new media is, creates so many opportunities. So. Let's talk the Melbourne Young Writers Studio. Yeah. How? Yeah, well, so I really, like the simplest answer to that is that for myself, as well as all the, you know, we've got about 20 uh, writing teachers and mentors who work here at the studio. For all of us, uh, it was something that we wished we'd had when we were kids. You know, kids can go after school and do drama. They can go and do music. They can go do dancing. They can go do after school sports. But there hasn't been the same, you know, structure and system around for writing. Um, and, you know, there are, we're not the first business to do this. There is other companies out there and some really good ones around the country. But, you know, we are quite unique in that our approach is firmly on story um, we explore all kinds of writing, but our preference is on fiction um, and on building worlds and characters from scratch. Um, and so we do lots of big immersive storytelling projects. Uh, we have a publishing arm. 
this is I can show you and you can go oh but <laughs> the people listening to this are not going to be able to see it but we publish very beautiful um uh anthologies of students works so there's about you know oh, 200 wow. 200 young authors I'm holding a book up uh on the screen now for everyone and I, and I can tell you it looks amazing <laughs> the equivalent with these books we've done quite a few different publications now of this one that I just showed you it's called the Young Explorers Journal of Forgotten Stories. This is volume three. We've done um, we've done one each year for the last three years. We did a huge book launch at the State Library of Victoria for this, where all of the young writers and their families came along. And so, you know, this is the equivalent of our like end of year concert. Yeah. Um, for, for writers. So yeah. We do after school programs, um, small groups called inkling groups, which are a small group setting, uh, or we do a limited number of one-on-one mentorships as well. Um, and they're on, in person and online. So we've got our main studios in Fitzroy North in Melbourne, um, and we have two other physical locations currently in Melbourne, uh, one over in the west and one down in Brighton, and we're opening another later in the year, and then all of our programs, um, the inkling groups and the mentorships are also available online. So Wonderful. Um, yes, and for those that are wanting to look more about... Um, uh, the, especially the 2022 um, schools program. There's a full guide on the website and it's absolutely amazing. Um, crafting story, balances curriculum, um, really great body of work to look at. And uh, that's at www.mywriters with an S studio.com.au. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, we do quite a lot of different programs. It would take me a while to go through all of them, but all the information's on the website and we do do adult uh, programs for adults as well. For those who are in Melbourne, um, currently our adult you know programs for adult writers are, are not online; they're just in person. But um, we have a beautiful studio, a great space to write in Fitzroy North. So for any emerging adult writers who are interested, um, check those out as well. Oh, wonderful, Dan! We cannot thank you enough for your time this afternoon. And, um, and to really take a dive into this, especially for those that are going, well, as you have said, um, oh, this is something that I can do or this is something that I can explore even further. And if you want to um, e- uh, explore Pirate Size Productions, you can do so on www.piratesizeproductions.com. We'd just like to congratulate you on your body of work and uh, we look forward to the journey ahead um, and um, what you have to offer, especially with the two projects that you have in work. Yeah, maybe we can do a follow-up chat once they're out. And we would once love I'm to. <laughs> once I'm actually allowed to talk about them in detail, yeah. That would be absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Dan. No worries. Thank you very much.